Hi guys, my name is Frank Chaparro, Senior Correspondent at The Block. You might know me as Frankie Scoops or Fintech Frank, but hopefully now you'll get to know me as the host of The Block's new podcast called The Scoop, made especially for decision makers and thrill seekers in the crypto market. Each week, I, along with one of my cohorts here at The Block, will talk with CEOs, innovators, and builders across the crypto market. The Blockchain Association has an interesting seat in the cryptocurrency and blockchain market, representing the interests of firms like Coinbase and Kraken to Washington's congressmen and powerful elite. Leading the charge there is Kristen Smith, a veteran of the Hill who has seen both sides of lobbying, working for different congresspeople and trade firms. She joined The Scoop to talk about what her members want from Congress, the organization's flagship Token Taxonomy Act, which defines which tokens should fall under securities laws, and the breaking news of the SEC suing Kick, the company which raised $100 million in an ICO in 2017. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app in the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to start supporting Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH payments to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. It's also a favorite of the block analyst, Steven Zhang. He uses Cash App when he goes to Chipotle and gets money back. He saves every time he eats a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. You can also use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, as I said, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, and Dunkin' Donuts. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to The Scoop, the Blocks podcast for crypto thrill seekers and decision makers. Today, we have a very special guest right off the Amtrak from Washington, D.C., Kristen Smith. She is the external affairs director of the Blockchain Association. And we have back from vacation our very special colleague on our research team, Ryan Todd. He's back from Alaska. He's ready to dive into things. We are going to be exploring all things regulations, this thing called the Token Taxonomy Act, why it's good for crypto, why Kristen is on the Hill beating on doors, trying to get congressmen and congresswomen to to jump on board with this thing. And we're going to be looking at some breaking news today. We have some breaking news out of KIC, the KIC SEC saga. We've got a very interesting 49-page lawsuit that the SEC issued against kick the social media platform and we are going to be looking at you know the other hurdles that are facing the members that pay Kristen and, and her entity to support them and and support the um, initiatives that they are looking to get signed into law or otherwise uh, thanks so much for joining us thank you Frank and thanks Ryan it's great to be here yeah so uh, I guess the best place to start is you know what what exactly you know when you're explaining what you do to folks, um, how do you, how do you do that? What, what, what's your elevator pitch to them? Well, it depends on if I'm talking to Congress or if I'm talking to the industry, uh, with the industry, um, I let them know that we're, you were, t- you were hanging out with your niece this weekend. How would you describe it to her? 
Uh, I don't think I could describe this to my <laughs> six-year-old niece. <laughs> okay, how would you describe to the industry? Uh, no, well, the, the industry, I let them know that we're a trade association um, and that we represent crypto companies before policymakers, whether that be Congress or regulators. Uh, there, I think there's a lot, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, there's a lot of confusion out there, I think, from folks that um, are are working and developing and creating and at the heart of the industry is that there are a lot of different organizations that have sprung up in recent years uh, to sort of help with some of these various issues. And I think what's complicating is that they all have very distinct and separate roles. Um, but our role at the Blockchain Association is to work on federal U.S. policy to change it and make it better uh, specifically for the crypto industry. And your members essentially pay you uh, on a monthly annual basis to... Not yes. do their bidding has like a negative connotation, but but to but, lobby, right? But to lobby, yeah, to lobby. So how protected many by are the First they, Amendment? How, how do they? How how many are there? And um, in what industries of of crypto? Yeah, where, where do they come from? No, so we have um, nineteen member companies. So we have exchanges, we have projects, um, and then we have investors. And who are some of the big names? Uh, so Coinbase, Circle, Kraken, Interstellar, Protocol Labs. Uh, the company formerly known as Zcash, uh, not not up to date on their their branding yet. Uh, Digital Currency Group, Polychain Capital, Union Square Ventures, uh, organizations like that. Heavy hitting list. What do you think is the biggest thing on their mind right now? You know, when they're when they're reaching out to you about the the impediments, the regulatory impediments that they face to operate their business. What is it, and and how are you guys trying to um, ameliorate that? Yeah, so the number one issue that our members care about is getting um, not just clarity, but the appropriate clarity uh, from regulators as to when these token transactions need to comply with securities laws and when they don't. I think that's top of mind, whether it's a project who raised money under a SAFT and wants to ultimately deliver those tokens or an exchange that is deciding what to list or investors who um, you know, are supporting this on, on the front end. That, that is the number one question on the minds of my members. Mm-hmm. And I imagine we can talk about the Token Taxonomy Act. That's playing a part in addressing that. What what exactly does it outline um, in terms of defining what is and what isn't? Because that's the question, right, that I feel like everyone wants an answer to. If I'm doing a token sale, if I'm issuing a token, how do I know when it's a security, when it's a utility token? Jay Clayton, the chairman of the SEC, I feel like has been pretty clear in saying that basically you just look at the, you know, the following the, the yeah, regulation the, the, that's the, been around the, the, the Howie test. And, you know, I guess is your point that the Howie test isn't enough. It's not good enough. We need something new. Yeah. Well, I think we agree with what the spirit of the Howie test is and that, um, you know, if you take a step back and, and think about why we have securities laws to begin with, uh, the, the, one of the number probably the top concern is uh, bridging the information asymmetry between an investor who wants to invest in a given uh, type of security and the issuer of that security. And uh, that's a really, I think, important role. And it was um, you know, top of mind back in the 30s when these laws came about. Um, so people had good information to make informed investment decisions. And what 
you know, we have today is that this Howey test gives us this definition of an investment contract, which is a security. And it's, um, it's, it's a facts and circumstances analysis. So you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. Now that we're in this world of crypto, people sort of dusted off this case that really, I think, mostly just law students looked at. Um, and, and it's become sort of front and center. And so I guess if you look at a very high level, how do we get sort of this, this clarity, um, you know, trying to pigeonhole it within this 73-year-old Supreme Court test is you know, not the ideal way for folks. Um, and we've seen, I mean, we've seen just, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago with Circle's announcement, um, but there's numerous projects out there that are, um, you know, distancing themselves from the United States. They're, they're not giving people within our borders the same access to um, certain tokens. Investors are, you know, encouraging projects to be developed overseas. And so we want to find a way to have clarity so people know, you know, once they get past that point of no longer controlling a project, how do you know for sure that you've met the requirements needed to um, be under a separate regulatory regime? And so we just think that the Howey test, going back to your original question, um, isn't is it doesn't really facilitate that process. It's it's very lawyer intensive, and we would like a process that's easier to understand so that developers and innovators can do their thing without having to engage white shoe law firms to help them navigate the process. This is the second rendition of this bill that was re, that was reintroduced. Um, yes. What what changes did you guys make on, on that, and was that the result of um, you know? different lawmakers reaching out and saying that this doesn't make sense or regulars make, reaching out saying that this doesn't make sense um, or just to make it a stronger bill. What, how did that sort of, um, yeah. I think so to the clarify token- too, like, did you work with regulators to, to form this, this bill or like how uh, did that process completely flesh out? Yes. So the token taxonomy act was originally introduced in December and it was reintroduced again uh, in April. Um, and there were some changes made to it. Uh, there were also some additional supporters that um, were involved in in the new version of the bill. And we worked very closely with um, the offices, uh, Warren Davidson and Darren Soto, as they were crafting this bill throughout the fall. I think one of the things that um, is really great about the legislative process as opposed to, uh, you know, the kick case, which we want to get into, or in some cases, even the regulatory process is that um, the legislative process is a very open and accessible process that is easy to be a part of. Um, You just sort of have to know how to engage with lawmakers. But, um, you know, there are very, very few people who wouldn't be able to just call up their congressman and go talk to them about an issue. You don't need um, any special fancy lobbyists to do that. Any any project, any company can go walk in um, and, and meet with Congress. Um, and the first version that was introduced, um, we thought was pretty good. We, we um, you know, the, the legislation does a couple of things. The, the the part that we care the most about that we contributed the most to was coming up with a definition of what we ultimately called a digital token um, and have that excluded from the definition of a security. Um, It's probably by no means perfect, but it's a place to start. Um, And there might even be a better way to construct this idea and this concept. And we, um, 
you know, are always open to talking about how to better do this. Um, but that's sort of the beauty of the legislative process is you get to throw ideas out and debate them and improve them. Um, the bill also deals with um, the Investment Advisors Act and some custody type provisions. Um, and then it also has some tax policy provisions in there, uh, both a de minimis exemption um, so that you don't have to pay capital gains if you buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin um, and also a like kind exchange. Um, the, the, it's sort of a, a wish list of things that, that folks in the ecosystem would want. Um, and in the bill that was introduced in April, in addition to getting a broader set of co-sponsors, um, there was some state preemption language that was included and some sort of technical changes, um, but nothing too substantial um, on sort of our core issue of what is a digital token. Um, but, um, you know, I know from talking with the offices that are working on this bill, they're very open to ideas on how to improve it um, and also are working to to expand the group of supporters that that support the bill. It probably probably makes sense to tackle everything at once, right? I'm thinking, you know, why not go after something small that could make a big difference like the capital gains exemption, which makes a lot of sense, right? If you're going to be using this as money, um, it doesn't make sense to, um, you know, tax it in the same way as, as you know, equity that you trade. Um, why not? start small and then maybe work yourself up to, you know, completely overhauling, you know, 80 plus year old uh, securities laws. Yeah. Well, I think the issue, the tax issues versus the securities issues are um, a little bit different. I mean, we do have some guidance on the tax side and there are some open questions that are out there and the IRS is looking to issue additional guidance. Um, then we have this de minimis issue and this like kind of exchange issue. Um, those aren't as immediately, as pressing as dealing with the SEC, right? Because if you get it wrong with the SEC, it's it's strict liability. It's very bad. Um, you, you don't want to have to go through that process. Um, the SEC is definitely sort of the more immediate, um, uh, I don't want to say threat, but uh, definitely like a concern to the industry um, that they don't want to get in the crosshairs with regulators. And so that just has, um, you know, the SEC's like, at the door. And so that that's something that um, I think our members want to try to get that issue resolved first. A lot of the issues, um, you know, dealing with like a de minimis exemption and others, um, really the onus there is on sort of individuals who use crypto. So I think it would be useful to get um, some of these things for, for the greater good of the ecosystem, but it's not that same level of threat. Um, that being said, the, you know, looking at the legislation, the, the way Congress is structured is it's a committee system and there are different committees of jurisdiction that have different expertise. And, um, you know, the Token Taxonomy Act touches on a couple of these different committees. And so, you know, as it moves forward, it's very likely that it could get broken off or added to something else as an amendment. And we'll see only pieces of that move. But, you know, right now, if, if you're a member of Congress and you have constituents that use crypto or you have companies in your district that are employing people in crypto, if you want to show your support, uh, if you want to take a step to make the U.S. be more competitive in this space, you can sign on to one bill as sort of a one-stop shop. But Got Ultimately, it. it'll probably get broken up into pieces. Has there been any pushback or comments from DC people you, you talk to on a regular basis on, on splitting those two prongs out from 
the the tax component and the security uh, component? Yeah, we've talked about it. The um, you know one a quick way to kill a bill is to have it need to go through multiple different committees, and we were fully aware of that um, at the time that that it was getting introduced. But um, you know, in my my discussions with folks on the Hill, we thought it made sense to have uh, sort of everything under one umbrella at this stage. And it's um, the legislative process is a, a little bit of a zigzag. I mean, you know, to get a bill signed into law, it has to be voted on in the House. It has to be voted on in the Senate in identical form, and it has to be signed by the president. And you So know, where is it right now? It's in committees? It's at the committee level. So, so ever, when a bill is introduced, is um, it's so its primary jurisdiction is the House Financial Services Committee, which is chaired by Maxine Waters, Waters. from California. And um, the subcommittee of jurisdiction uh, is the Investor Protection and Capital Markets Subcommittee, which is Carolyn Maloney uh, here in New York. Um, uh, but it also has Ways and Means Committee uh, jurisdiction, which is the committee that does tax policy. And then it wasn't referred to this committee, but um, it could very well touch uh, or need to touch ultimately the House Agriculture Committee because House Agriculture Committee has jurisdiction over the CFTC um, or potentially the House Energy and Commerce Committee because they have jur- jurisdiction over the Federal Trade Commission, which could also play a role in this. So um, having to go through four committees is not not fun. So if we can break it apart into pieces, um, that would be much so Much where is it at? I mean, I guess it's it's going to be at different levels at each one of those committees. Is it farther along, further along in one of those committees? No, than- no. So right now it's just sitting in the House Financial Services okay, Committee. Gotcha. And, um, you know, when bills how are... how long could that be in there? Yeah, I mean, it could be, be forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be forever if we do our job right. But it it's... Um, What's the you realistic know, assumption of success timeline-wise. Like we what should would just be... pull up that, you know, that old, what's it? If you want to be a bill. Yeah, I'm, I'm just <laughs> a bill up on Capitol right. Hill. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little, little, little more complicated than that <laughs> song. Um, but the, it's, it ultimately needs to go sort of follow some of the key, key parts of that, what that song covers. But uh, no, it, when a bill is introduced, it is um, always referred to a committee as sort of a automatic matter. And then, um, you know, the committee itself is divided into subcommittees. And so, you know, the entire committee process in theory could be bypassed if the leadership of, you know, the House or the Senate wants to sort of fast track something, there's processes for doing that. But the, um, the typically and especially something of this nature, which is pretty technical, uh, most of the work is going to be done in the committee process. So um, right now uh, it's at a point where we're working to build support from additional members of the committee by getting them to sign on as co-sponsors. Um, we're also looking to get legislation introduced in the Senate. Um, the Senate is quite a bit further behind in the education process than the house, but we're working is to there a reason for that. Or is it, um, I think it's just cause it's they're older. To get, it's harder to get to them. It's <laughs> yeah. harder to engage yeah. with them. I'd imagine. Yeah. They, they, there was a, there's kind of a saying that, um, you know, if the, the, the house is sort of the teacup and the, the Senate is like the saucer that cools the, the mm. teacup. So, you know, the House members are elected every two years. They tend, there's a lot more of them. Uh, they tend to kind of try to find these little niche issues um, and be, 
you know, a little bit quicker to respond. And the Senate is, you know, that's where the debate happens or they're a little bit more sort of thoughtful and, you know, there's less of them. And it, um, yeah, this happens across all now, How issues. do you go about convincing these people to, to, to support this bill? Is it just fancy dinners? Is it calling their, their offices? I every wish week? I could take them out to fancy like, dinners. It, you can't do it, that anymore. <laughs> what does it involve? Um, it involves a lot of conversations and a lot of education. So before you can get into, you know, the details of the Howey test and, and why we think, you know, open blockchain projects don't have the same information asymmetry as as other projects. Well, you probably start with what what's Bitcoin? Yeah, well, or yeah, what's what's blockchain? Um, and what's the difference between an open blockchain network and a permission blockchain network? Because they hear, you know, is a, I was a staffer on the Hill for, for 10 years. And, you know, you start to take meetings all day from people and you learn about the world by doing meetings with lobbyists and constituents and other people who are trying to get something done. And so there's, um, you know, they hear from a lot of folks uh, that are doing sort of permission type things, but, you know, understanding that it's not just about this ledger, but it's about the fact that you can have a whole bunch of different people that are interacting in one as sort of one unit without having anybody be in charge of that. That's a different concept. What's been the biggest pushback? Maybe it's a specific item within the bill um, so far uh, that you've heard. Uh, well, there are a lot of there are a couple vocal opponents to the state preemption language, um, and you know that is something I don't see sticking in the bill forever. Um, there are some lawyers that have had, um, you know, lawyers they have like lots of opinions on things. <laughs> they they have had some the concerns about Twitter lawyers, the crypto Twitter armchair lawyers, yes, um, that have concerns about. Uh, you know, the definition and that maybe it's too tied to a technology or what do you do if a digital token is part of an investment contract? And, um, you know, oh, my goodness, you're going to have to litigate a whole new set of definitions. And, um, you know, I my answer to them is we want to make this as strong as possible please send me your ideas and your thoughts and precise language changes because, you know, our, our industry, we're very um, adamant that we need to have a uh, change happen, but we're not wedded to the specific words and we want to improve it. And, um, but we did put quite a bit of effort in on the front end to get to where we are at today. For the state preemptive issue, is there precedent for that not existing for a bill I guess there's no bill similar. Yeah, to this, I mean, I've worked, you know, not not in the crypto context, but in other issues. Battling the states is hard. Right. It's um, they're politically savvy. You know, the governors know the congressmen and know the senators, and um, they have an incredible infrastructure for influencing federal governments in in Washington. And so it's. Um, you know, it can be challenging. Uh, that being said, it would be a shame to go through this whole process to the point where we finally got a world where these, you know, sort of functional tokens that are in these decentralized networks, there's a, a very clear checklist to get people to where they want to be and then have different states pop up with their own sort of securities laws where, um, you know, there's now this patchwork that has to be dealt with. So I do think if it's a provision that it's like, it's kind of like, you know, I, I it's a really interesting point, I think, because I, th I, my opinion on that is, you know, there's two sides 
to having states take their own individual approach, right? You can actually have certain states drive, um, you know, more innovation than others and actually meet the needs, the specific needs of, of their communities. Whereas at the same time, I'm sure your members, you know, cry ad nauseum about just this, this patchwork of, of like com- complex and, and, and varying laws that they have to navigate to operate their business. And from that perspective, it must be maddening, but there is this sort of, dichotomy or, or, um, you know, it's the world that banks live in. I mean, they have to get different state charters to operate. I know these aren't banks, but yeah. Or yeah. Money transmission licenses, licenses. And and, and a lot of companies are just taking it, you know, sort of one by one. But I think for this, you know, issue on when token transactions or securities or not, uh, that would be one that it would be a shame to sort of undo, undo all of that good work. If we, we finally got to where we wanted and then, then, now we have to tackle the states. Let's pivot uh, quickly to the news at hand. Pivot. The big news, the pivot. We're going to pivot. We're going to pivot. To the big news at hand, which is the SEC's lawsuit against Kick. Kick, which had a $100 million initial coin offering to launch their KIN token, which would effectively be a token used within their um, messaging app e- ecosystem. Uh, they were issued a Wells notice in November and now basically an injunction and lawsuit today uh, for, you know, basically issuing what, what they view as a security. Um, Kristen's organization, right, released a defense a um, couple, let's see, when it was February 4th, defending them and, and basically saying what, the, what what you outlined earlier on the, on the show, that there are things that should fall under this umbrella and then there are things that um, have fallen, that, that should fall outside of that umbrella given given the utility of a token um, and whether it meets certain standards. Now, Kristen hasn't read the lawsuit yet. We're really, it only came out about 90 minutes ago. Truly. We're (laughs) truly putting her in the hot seat and and we're going to just sort of go through it and, and examine what's striking to me is, is this idea that let's say there, there is a utility to this thing. I'm not a kick expert by any means. I don't know um, if, if, if anyone really is, (laughs) To be frank, but um, the, the essentially essentially the argument that I imagine would be made is that if there is utility, right, then it may, perhaps should fall outside of these parameters. But what what's so striking here is how the SEC outlines how Kick was really in financial straits, right, and they needed money. And and there's even one quote here that is really fascinating about um, back in 2017. Um, they had a senior management team and, and they determined that this was their only option. Uh, and this is quoting directly from the suit. One member of Kick's board of directors soon after discussions began, uh, presumably about the ICO, um, described the plan as a Hail Mary pass. That's a quote. Um, from the onset, Kick saw investors and speculators as a crucial target audience for an ICO. In a meeting on February 16th, 2017, executives at Kin uh, discussed the need to craft an offering that would appeal to, quote, crypto investors and the growing market for crypto assets. At this meeting, Kin executives and directors anticipated that crowdfunders would invest in tradable digital tokens of a non-blockchain company if offered good risk return potential. When you hear that and and sort of just parsing through that without reading the full document, what are just some of your initial thoughts or questions that you might be thinking? Yeah, so 
we've had a lot of conversations with Kick. Um, they're not one of our members, but we have other member companies that are um, very interested in in what's going on. And um, I would say that the the team at Kick has been. Uh, sort of a delight to communicate with. They're they're wonderful people. They've been very sort of open, um, and we've had um, a lot of back and forth with them. I you know hearing that it, it sounds different than the way the circumstances were characterized. Uh, you know, sort of to me. I mean, my understanding is at the time. Uh, you know, I think they did a SAFT originally. This this isn't the SAFT, but this is sort of the follow on yeah. offering. Um, so that was there was, was a Reg D for accredited investors, and then there was also another portion on. that was a public facing. Yeah, and, and this this was a sale of of tokens. Um, uh, you know, I um, you know I think that at a very high level, businesses um, you know that are trying to figure out how to meet cash flow needs and otherwise, if they have an asset that they want to. Um, tap into in order to do that. And in this case, you know, selling these tokens, that seems to me like that that's not horribly offensive. But um, I sort of I think what's implied by what you read is that maybe there was a situation where, um, you know, there was some information asymmetry where there this organization potentially could have, you know, known that that might be more troubling. But yeah, it's really hard to know without having read the whole thing. Um, and um, um, but I do think that, um, from what I've seen with talking with with the the kick folks and others is that um, you know I, th- I think it's it's very brave what they're doing. Um, there are I don't I think it's I've, I've never heard of anyone releasing uh, their Wells response um, you know to the Wall Street Journal <laughs> you know after they after they send it um, that that it, these guys are um, very organized. They have um, uh, defendcrypto.org that. They're um, raising money for their legal defense fund, um, even though they are um, prepared to cover those expenses themselves. Uh, they are they are th- this case clearly is going to have very broad implications for a lot of people, which I think kind of goes back to this point that I I don't believe in, in what we said in our blog post. Um, I guess it was back in February. Um getting policy decisions out of out of courts, uh, it, it's never it's rarely, it can be in limited circumstances, uh, it's rarely the best way to get good policy. And, you know, the courts weren't set up to make the policy, they were set up to interpret it. And the um, decisions that these courts make are very important. And it could, uh, you know, potentially cripple the entire industry, or it could set it free. And as, you know, a person who represents multiple industry players, we just have very limited means of influencing that process. And so it's very frustrating that there's something this big is going to be uh, decided by the facts and circumstances of of one single company when you there's there's a much broader um you know, a broader set of points that should be considered. We'd, we'd much prefer an open rulemaking process or to continue through the legislative process um, than go down this. Um, that being said, I think Kick is very right for um, for pursuing this. And, um, um, you know, I, I wish them the best of luck. Um, can a, well, after this suit, they're going to need quite a bit of luck, but how can Definitely you- Definitely going to need more than 5 million in my opinion. I don't know. Well, I think the other thing that that is a little concerning is courts, you know, give a lot of uh, sort of deference to expert agencies um, and how they interpret these. So it, it really is an uphill battle um, going into it. But I think it's a battle that's important to be had because, you know, I think going through this process um, 
you know, I think we'll learn a lot. Um, lawmakers pay attention to this sort of thing. The question I would have is, how do you maybe, you know, with the we've read like very limited amounts of the suit, and and I, I wish we we had this conversation tomorrow morning, right? <laughs> um, but but just with 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 that said, um, how do you how does your thinking about what to do next sort of maybe change or um, how do you maybe with the token taxonomy act or something else um, try to take into consideration, um, you know, and, and obviously this is all alleged stuff. Um, how, how do you take into consideration events like, like this as, as described in the suit? Yeah, no, I think it I think it brings additional urgency to our need to show progress on on the legislative front. I mean, I I am, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I worked on the Hill 10 years. I was a lobbyist for, I guess, I guess six or seven years since then. Um, And I this is an issue that Congress can solve. There's a pathway to do it. It's it's a little bit of a long pathway, and and it's going to take a lot of work. But um, we can get legislation done given enough time. Um, uh, mostly because once we solve this issue of needing to get you know congressional staffers and members of Congress educated. Um, you know, right now we don't have any organized enemies working against us. Um, it's there's not you know, somebody, I go in and lobby and do a meeting and somebody coming in after me and undoing what I do. Interesting. Um, so we, we don't have any enemies. What That's- would be like a parallel to maybe the world you came from, um, in other, uh, lobbying positions where you're, you're trying to advocate one thing and then, you know, yeah, there's, um, net neutrality. I would spend a lot of time working on net neutrality. You'd have the, the internet companies come in and be like, we need this policy. And then you would have the telecom companies and come in and be like, this policy is terrible. Don't move this policy. Um, that's a situation where, um, and, and as we've seen, the policy has shifted back and forth depending on administrations and, and who's in charge. And there's a lot of sort of policy volatility, if that's a th- thing. I just made that up. Um, but the um, this is a situation where it's a very technical issue and and the concerns of it stem, I think, from a misunderstanding of how it works um, and what it can do and that um, over time we'll be able to fix that. And, you know, if we get this through the committee stage, which is going to be the longest stage, this is something that would go um, fairly easily, I think, through the House floor um, if we could get it through committee. They have a fast track processes for these sort of less controversial bills. And so if we can get something done on the front end, we can we can get this bill done. But having the kit case out there, you know, that's not going to happen overnight either. But um, it's definitely going to put um, it puts more pressure on on us to, uh, as, you know, the Blockchain Association to to get um, some traction in other areas. Now, it could be that the kick case um, ends up going our way. And, um, you know, from my conversations, they, they, you know, feel very strongly that they're, they're in the right. Um, and, you know, I've heard some good arguments out of them. And so I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, that the best scenario will happen, but, um, I'm also sort of realistic in that, as I mentioned before, courts tend to, uh, give deference to agencies in this situation, these types of situations. And, um, it was, it's, it's definitely going to be a tough road ahead. Is Kick the right company to take on the SEC, or do you think there's a, a risk of whether it's unfairly or not this impacting other 
other tokens and projects. Yeah, no, I think I think what happens um, with this case will definitely impact other projects. Um, Even you if know, you separate kick- the promising of returns or however, how, whatever, we haven't read the. Yeah, there's some there's some aspects letter, here. but if you remove that aspect from it, you still think there's pieces to this that could unfairly impact other tokens. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, well, this is going to be you know this is going to be sort of a dividing line. Um, I mean, my understanding is at the point that they offered this, these, you know, we're selling these talk tokens to, to individuals that there, there were functional uses for this. Um, and that, and I could be wrong on this, but my understanding was that the, their code base, you know, was public. It was yeah. open source. And but that, that's also balanced with things like, you know, the CEO saying, and this is on page um, 15 of the suit, um, um, that's Ted Livingston. Um, this was at a conference in New York in 2017 that this is, pri- and this is quoted, the primary audience for this initial announcement really is an investor community. So it's like, it, it is a sort of um, interesting case where, like you said, you had the code public, but at the same time, you have these statements. It's not exactly so black and white as some where, where you had some of these projects not having anything and going out raising tons of money with with Telegram groups advertising it as as you know basically sales securities. Um, well, there are other things out there that you can have gains on that aren't securities, right? I mean, there's you know I bought this fancy handbag that I have here that if it's in limited supply, I could probably go sell it and, you know, get my money back. And then some people do it with watches. People do Mm -hmm. it with different commodities all of the time. You know, these things aren't securities, um, you know, that in, you know, under securities laws and you can still, you know, just because you make a profit off of something um, and that the value of the network grows doesn't mean that, um, it's a security. Let's let's pivot again. You love to pivot. Pivoting <laughs> always. It's pivot central. Um, just so that we don't. I want you to read it, and then we'll we'll have a follow up conversation on on kick. Um, what do you think is the biggest thing that that's not on maybe your radar or Congress's radar or the regulators' radar that is you know, concerning to your members or even a gap with, with industry as well. Yeah. The hill to industry. The biggest public policy issue. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, well, I would say a lot of these are not on the radar of a lot of Congress. We're working to change that. Um, the, you know, the tax stuff we were talking about before, I think is really crucial to getting right. And, um, but there's still only sort of a small group of people that are focused on that. Um, I think what Finson did recently is, um, you know, sort of bringing up some issues that, you know, early on in the association, um, these weren't really a priority for us, but all of a sudden they're, they're sort of beginning to be. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything. There's something about Finson having, or, or my understanding, something to do with Finson having a yellow book of approved Bitcoin or crypto addresses. Is that something? Oh, I'm not familiar with this yellow book. I'd like a copy though. (laughs) Um, but what were, what were you saying? Um, no, I'm not sure there's anything that's not on the industries, you know, that, that's a, that's an issue that needs to be on the radar other than the issues that we have. Um, you know, still for a lot of these folks, um, I, uh, 
I've told this story. I, I've former member of Congress, not current member of Congress. I met with once. Um, I told him I worked at the Blockchain Association, and he said to me, um, he's like, oh, is blockchain publicly traded like Bitcoin? And I thought to myself, there are so many things wrong with that sentence that I'm not totally sure where to begin. So I think we have, um, I think we have enough, um, enough issues um, out there. I, I, I do think there's one argument out there that um, is not being discussed that would be good for all of the different issues that we're tackling. And um, this is um, Union Square Ventures talks about this quite a bit, but that, um, you know, crypto networks are the solution to any concerns we have about Internet monopolies, because you can have these systems where individuals can come together and compete. You can have individuals that can control and sort of port their data to different applications. Um, a, a lot of what we don't like about the internet can be solved with this. And that is something that um, I don't think is yet at the forefront of what the House Judiciary Committee is looking at now that they're doing this investigation um, into uh, some of the big internet companies. We've had uh, discussions at the staff level, um, but I think that there is an answer to policymakers' concerns that doesn't necessarily involve you know, traditional antitrust policy interventions or otherwise. It's sort of dealing with this obscure securities issue. If they were to take that on, that could actually solve a lot of the things that they're concerned about. So that's, that's an argument that we, we use, um, but it's a fairly sophisticated argument and it takes um, the right background for that to be um, useful or interesting to, to different policymakers. You mentioned before we hopped on and, and turned on the, recording equipment that there are kind of three different routes, right? There's regulatory, there's uh, you can go agency. And, and then what was the third one? Well, there's um, courts, the regulatory courts, slash right. agency. I would put that sort of sure. in, in the same bucket. Uh, there's the courts and there there's Congress. You know, we have three branches of government. Yeah, um, exactly. And there are different pros and cons to taking each route. So what about just thinking about, um, I, I, I think we either talked about in the beginning or earlier on, um, you know, Jay Clayton set two step like at the end of his term is the summer, I'm pretty sure. Um, do you see a new um, person coming in who might be more crypto friendly and that that might completely change your strategy in terms of how you're, uh, you know, you approach getting different, um, you know, changing the way the space is regulated and governed? Yeah. So the, the way the SEC is set up, um, you know, the SEC is an independent agency. And so unlike maybe the, Treasury Department or the Department of Energy or the Department of Education, those are uh, directly sort of executive branch agencies that are under the control of the president. Uh, these independent agencies like the SEC, FTC, CFTC, and others are made up of commissions that are appointed by by the president, um, but have representation from both parties. So Jay Clayton is, you know, he's the chairman. He's, he's actually technically an independent and he's not a Republican, but his term actually goes through June of 2021. So if oh, okay. he decides to stay for his full term, he will be around a while. But I think that, um, in our conversations with him, I, um, I don't get the sense that these are his favorite issues. Um, I, I get the sense that, <laughs> Why um, is that? <laughs> I, uh, well, this is, I don't, yeah, I don't think he signed up for this. That's, I mean, that's just, he didn't say that, but that's, that's, that's my, my personal opinion, but you know, he has, 
very legitimate concerns based upon what happened in, you know, sort of 2017 and 2018. And whereas I think for those of us in the industry, we have sort of moved on and we're like, oh, good. All those, you know, fraudulent ICO scams have gone away. And now we're left with like the good core group of people and we're moving forward. I think he still remembers those days as if they were yesterday. And I think that's sort of where our, our differences are. And so I think that, um, you know, when, when he, moves on and somebody new comes in, um, we might be able to have sort of a fresh conversation where that sort of taint of uh, all those bad actors that swarmed into this place and into the space um, might not be as strong with somebody new. So, um, you know, we will, um, you know, continue to engage with the SEC and have our conversations with them. But, um, you know, we might be on hopefully a stronger uh, footing with the agency when, um, when somebody new comes in. Do you engage with the CFTC on things? Is it different than the SEC? Yeah, our immediate priorities um, don't fall under the CFTC, but they um, are very, very engaging to work with. They, um, you know, they invite us at the Blockchain Association and our members to to speak on panels. They have a technical advisory committee that some of our, uh, one of our members, um, uh, Richard Gorlick with DRW chairs, uh, they are, um, they're, they're very much sort of open doors. They want to have conversations. Um, it's, uh, it's a very friendly, um, sort of welcoming agency. They're, they're just eager for information and, and dialogue, which is, which is wonderful. Now they don't have, uh, sort of a direct, um, jurisdiction over, you know, especially sort of the, uh, project side of things. Um, there, there is, um, a lot of communication, I think, between our exchange members and, and the CFTC, um, as well as like our traders in the CFTC because of, um, you know, there is some limited jurisdiction that they have over those entities. So there, there's a lot of back and forth there, but, um, I would think, you, you know, as far as agencies go, they're, um, you know, fairly, fairly open-minded and, um, and very eager to have dialogue. We've talked a lot about the Hill. Can we talk about a little bit industry members? Uh, sure. curious if there's any disparity in members that you currently have, whether there's different stuff they want, uh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. Or is it pretty aligned? Are you kind of like the parent sitting in the middle uh, 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 and trying to figure out, you know? I, I wish I wish I'm more like the child sitting in the middle. I, right. I, I just do what I'm told. You, you love um, them all equally, right? <laughs> Pardon? You have to love them all equally. I, I occasionally pull out a favorite, um, depending if they've uh, done something uh, very bold Sign or, the biggest or helpful. Check. But uh, no, no, I, um, I, I, I have to say, I, this is the group of members uh, with the Blockchain Association are a wonderful engaged group. And I think it's sort of a reflection of the industry. Everybody's very excited. Uh, there is this sense that, uh, we're in it together. Um, and that, you know, we need to coordinate on, on these efforts. Um, we haven't had any major issues yet, um, where there's different focus, obviously depending on the different player, uh, 
their different pieces might be um, more critical than others. But this issue of getting clarity on on when securities laws apply is definitely number one. We also have um, some members that are very interested in um, getting the SEC to issue guidance to FINRA um, so that more broker-dealer applications can be approved for qualified custodians or just um, even just sort of more general broker-dealer applications can can start making it through the pipeline. So some people are mo- more focused on that that piece of it. Um, but we haven't had any, um, you know, if we ever had an issue where there was a major split between the association, we just wouldn't engage on the issue. That's um, sort it. of the standard practice of how these trade associations um you know, work in Washington, D.C. I I do sense sometimes with my members, there's a sort of a little bit of um, different, you know, difference of opinion of how strong or aggressive to be um, when something happens. Um, So that's correct. But but it's it's pretty, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's it's pretty mild. It's, uh, you know, usually easily addressed by getting on the phone or, or, uh, you know, getting on an email chain with folks. Now, what about new membership? You mentioned a lot of the members you have now are crypto native companies, um, but with the flurry of announcements that continue to come out, yeah, JP Morgan Coin, uh, Facebook's Global Coin, is there any potential for more traditional tech and financial institutions you to know, join? Or? I I think we're pretty strong right now because we are fairly f- focused on crypto. Um, you know, there might be a time where it makes sense for for one of those organizations to join. I mean, from what I know about uh, JPM coin. And I, I don't know much about the Facebook project. I don't know if that's because I haven't done the, the research or if uh, there's not, not much out there. Probably <laughs> not. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine um, that those are... Uh, you the know, interest might be very different. Pardon? I mean, the interests in terms of what they're doing might be very different, right? Like uh, JP Morgan with with JP Morgan coin, that's a that's like a private blockchain, right? Yeah. Yeah, internal settlement. Yeah. It's not I mean, yet. we we have some members that, um, you know, a lot of them are focused on sort of these open um, blockchain networks. We also have some that, in addition to that, um, you know, are interested in seeing a more vibrant securities tokens market, um, whether that be, you know, sort of because they want to custody those or they want to trade those because they have an ATS or, um, you know, there, there's um, that is uh, we have member companies that definitely have interest in that, too. Now, there's not a whole lot of public policy issues there outside of the custody piece. So, um, you know, I don't know if companies would want to join a public policy association if they didn't agree with the public policies that we're pursuing. So, but if they agreed with us, um, you know, I, I, I like, uh, more budget. We can, we can do more things and, and speed up the pace at which we can get this, the change that we need. What does it look like on the ground floor? I mean, you've seen it from, from every, I mean, just like lobbying in general and, and working on the Hill. Um, you've got to have some some interesting stories. I <laughs> yeah. mean, whether when you were a yes. chief of staff or, you know, congressman working, working for different Congress people and then, you know, lobbying those on, on the other side, lobbying them. Um, what, what, what did you glean over the, I mean, 15, 20 years almost. Right? Yeah, no, it's, um, have you ever watched Veep? Yeah, I know. I was just thinking, um, about that. who <laughs> yeah. are you in Veep? Are you, so, what's that one guy who's always bothering the vice president? No, I think I'm is it Amy? Uh, no, you're, Jonah. You, I'm Jonah, definitely not, not Jonah. Jonah. That's so offensive. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're Amy. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm Amy. I think. Well, I'm, I haven't gotten to the part where he actually <laughs> runs for president as like the Trump figure. Spoiler uh, alert. Uh, um, no, it's uh, so. Um, 
Veep um, is the most accurate show about Washington, D.C. I have ever seen. Have you ever walked out of a meeting just beside yourself? Pissed yeah, off. I mean, it's um, when Amy runs out on a on on what what's her name in the show? Mar- Mariah's Stacy Myers Myers <laughs> yeah, something no, Myers. It's, it's um yeah, I mean it's it's a listen. It's a wonderful process. I shouldn't um I shouldn't sell it short. It's it's really amazing. Um, you know, uh, and again, my background's on the congressional side, so sort of speaking from that piece. You have people from all over the country from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, that went to, you know, all sorts of different colleges and universities that uh, really represent, um, it's a cross-section of the American people. It's, it's an amazing group. But, um, but yes, there is a lot of politics. There's a lot of um, little spats about things that to somebody on the outside seems ridiculous, but to somebody on the inside, it's... Like you know, what? Sorry. What would be an example? Oh, you know, who voted for who for leadership and things like that, that to, you know, somebody on the outside doesn't seem to matter. But um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful place. There's a lot of energy. Um, I mean, I remember working on the Hill and, um, you know, people would come in and they would say all these fancy words and I understood maybe half of them. Um, But, you know, you still managed to help them with, uh, you know, legislation and things like that. So I guess maybe the most surprising thing is how sort of young and um, not uneducated um, or inexperienced, but, um, you know, just, well, maybe inexperienced is the right word, but there's a real desire to do good things. But no, so working with crypto has its own unique set of challenges. It's it's complicated, um, but it's also, um, it's kind of sexy. Like once people sort of get into it, they're like, oh, wow, you like know about blockchain and gee, that's like cool. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and so it's, um, but I think what's maybe different is just like I was mentioning before the enthusiasm level of participants in the industry. They're so excited. They're happy to come to town. They're happy to do this. I've worked with other, you know, trade groups in the past representing them where, you know, everybody's, you know, 65 years old and they're getting close to retiring and there's not a lot of, uh, sort of youthful energy, whether it be actual like youth or youth and spirit. And so I think that's, what's fun about crypto is everybody's just eager to learn and excited, um, to be a part of it. What drew you to the space and why do you feel compelled to basically, you know, ab- advocate on behalf of it. Yeah. So I, I, um, I think I have the coolest job in Washington and, um, it's, this is, uh, the dream job I never knew I wanted till I had it. And, uh, I was very interested in technology policy early on in my career, which, um, I guess was maybe the result of the fact that I happened to work for the guy who was chairing the commerce committee subcommittee on tech and telecom. So I got really involved in those issues, but I I really enjoyed it and did a lot of work on net neutrality in the very early days back in 2006. So I was a big fan of the internet. And then the internet sort of started to grow up and I was not so much a fan of the internet um, anymore. I was uh, uh, very concerned about privacy, only recently started engaging on social media um, because I was never a big fan of, of any of that stuff. And so when I was lobbying, um, one of the clients at the firm I worked at was overstock.com. And, um, you know, they have a lot of e-commerce issues that I had experience on, but they were doing this, you know, blockchain stuff. And so I think I knew um, that I 
had the bug really bad when I actually said no to dinner at Le Diplomat, which is like one of my favorite spots in DC on like a Saturday night with my girlfriends. Cause I needed to finish watching a YouTube video, um, about like <laughs> proof of stake or something like, and I think that's when I knew I was like, I got to be a part of this industry somehow, uh, in a more meaningful way. And so I feel so lucky that the blockchain association came together and that, uh, you know, I got to help them, uh, with this effort. Well, you're definitely making a meaningful impact and we're, we're so happy that you joined us today to walk us Thank through you. exactly, you know, how lobbying works to to kick on short notice, and then just, you know, the to- ta- token taxonomy act. Try saying that five times, but we appreciate it. <laughs> Get back to DC safe, Thank ladies you. and gentlemen. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one in finance on the App Store for almost two years. It was the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfer to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Dunkin', local coffee shops, and a whole lot more. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. 